Welcome to the Augusta Press Podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Mace, and it is my pleasure to invite journalists and editors from the Augusta Press here to the PowerServe studios in downtown Augusta. Today on our episode, I get to talk to the myth, the legend, <laughs> the wonder woman of journalism. Welcome, Debbie Van Tool. How are you? I'm great. Thank I'm you. I'm so glad that you got to come in. You have a wealth of great stories and interesting stuff and connected to all the other interesting things going on. And I think it's going to be really exciting. Um, instead of rehashing the latest articles, you know, from the online newspaper, which is coming out every day and there are more stories and more stories and you guys are doing great. It's good to see subscribers continuing to grow. Um, you can find that at theaugustapress.com. I wanted this podcast to help listeners and readers get to know journalists who bring the news every day. So find out a little bit more about you guys, kind of turn the table on the reporters and the interviewers and make you the interviewee. So first off, how do you feel about being interviewed? It's one of those things that has happened from time to time because I've been a professor and so students need to practice interviewing and so they often come to their professors to do that. So it's something that's happened a, a lot in that kind of venue, but in terms of actually talking to somebody who's done this a lot, and I'm not having to kind of coach them as I'm going along with the interview, it's unusual. I may need some coaching. You never know. <laughs> well, never we'll see know. what we can do. But it's, it's always unusual because, you know, I, I'm, I went into writing because I didn't like to talk to people. Wow. <laughs> and, and so um, – it was it was a means of expressing. Well, let's myself. talk about that. When did you start to feel like that was something you wanted to do? Were you very young? Mm-hmm. I was eight years old. Eight years old. Wow. And I was in Miss Taylor's third grade class. Where is this happening? This is at E.B. Irwin Elementary School in Center Point, Alabama, which okay. is the northernmost suburb of Birmingham. And that's where you grew up. More or less. Okay. That's where I spent a lot of my childhood and and uh, teenage years. And uh, Miss Taylor was probably the age I am now, but I thought she was this ancient woman. You know, she <laughs> she wore the the shifty dresses that they used to wear, and her hair was gray, and she wore the the old fashioned sort of um, booty kind of shoes that had like a, a two inch stacked heel and laced up. Um, they they're always black. I don't know. Oh, wow. Old women don't wear those now, <laughs> but they did back then. There was a certain uniform you had to wear if you were over. If you were an old teacher, you, that's what you yeah, wore. Yeah. Gotcha. And we were reading silently out of our literature book, and we'd been assigned to read a poem by John Greenleaf Whittier. And it must have been about fall, because I remember the picture on the page as well as if I was looking at it today. I don't remember the poem, but I remember the picture. And it was a uh, picture of, of the woods and fall with yeah. all the beautiful leaves. But I was reading along, and I came to the end of a stanza, and there was this dot and squiggle at the end of it, and I'd never seen that before. So I had no clue what it was, so I got up and went to her desk and said, Miss Taylor, what is this? And she said, it's a semicolon. And I said, why is it there? And she responded that, well, you use that to make a reader pause more than you can with a comma. And I was eight years old. You can't make anybody do anything when you're eight years old. Everybody's making you do stuff. And I thought, I can make somebody pause with a dot and a squiggle? I love this. Wow. It was power. It was a kind of power. So that was when I realized the power of writing. And I just started writing then. And, you know, I finished my first novel in sixth grade. I wrote short stories all through fifth grade. Um, I did want to ask you that. So you've you've done, and we'll get to, get to them. Obviously, a lot of articles, a lot of interviews, a lot of editorial, a lot of um, nonfiction books. I was wondering about fiction books. 
were were your first books and stories were fiction. Yes, and and uh, I, I continued on that path all the way through college, and in fact won a couple of awards for some of my. Um, what were what were writing. your stories about? What were what did you love to write about? It just depended. Pri- primarily, I was really interested in science fiction, so I wrote a lot well, about. Sign me up! I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a lot about um, a, a moon colony and having the. F- um, the the young woman yeah. who started the first newspaper on the moon because that was my ambition. The young woman grade. who starts the first newspaper on the moon. Yep, that was my ambition. In that actually grade. sounds like a pretty cool story. <laughs> I don't. I've never. I've never heard anybody do that. That's yeah, great. it was. It was kind of neat. You know, we had had, I guess, the moonwalk by then. Um, the first one, or at least we were trying to get. Everybody to the moon was by talking then. about it for sure. Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, it just. It was on my mind. I liked science fiction. And I thought, this is what I'm going to write Did you about. read a lot of science fiction, too, at that point? I did. What that else did you like to read? Mythology. Mythology, I okay. read a lot of science fiction, a lot of mythology when I was a kid. Did you like superheroes? I mean, it sounds like a pretty easy step over into comic books and, and things like that, which is my you favorite know, my stuff brother, for everybody. Yeah, yeah. My <laughs> brother got into the comic books. Okay. And I loved Batman. You know, the, the Adam West Batman was sure. on TV when I was in elementary school. And I, I loved that. Um, and I guess if it, was, if it was a book or if it was television, I was interested. But comic books? Comic books, no. No. It's very, it was very much back then a boy thing. It there was. was. It was. They were not. I mean, there were some comics for girls. There but were. it was definitely that. Yeah. Now, science fiction is also mostly the purview of, of boys and teenage boy, all that kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. thing. So that's interesting. That that's, that's what you liked and got into. And so throughout high school, you thought, I want to be a writer. I did. And okay. I thought I wanted to be a fiction writer. So I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll probably need to teach high school and then write on the side. Okay. Because, you know, well, that's a way to do it, right, right? Right. That was a starting point to get there. And I had a cousin at the time, though. He was my favorite cousin. He's four years older than me. His name was Woody. And we were visiting Woody's family one Thanksgiving, and I told him what my plan was, but that, you know, I'm, I was working for the school newspaper as well. And he said, well, you're going to have to give one of them up. You can't be a fiction writer and a journalist at the same time. And he had gone down the journalism pathway, and I said, I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to do both. I, yes, and I did through high school and college. But then um, when I was student teaching, I had a um, – incident where I had a fight break out in not in my classroom but I was babysitting someone else's classroom they had a teacher who was out and didn't have someone to substitute for her and so I sent for the principal and I got the message back that he was at lunch and he'd be there in a little bit and I said (laughs) well I got an issue now (laughs) (laughs) to heck with this yeah I'm gonna want to teach high school if this is the way you get supported in high school and I said journalism's looking pretty good (laughs) and then I had a little incident that almost got me expelled um, in college, and that's what well, kind that of led fun. me. Did you were, were you rebelling? Were you pro? No, you just got in trouble. I love it. The <laughs> the university had a new president. Where is this university? That's what I was going to ask. Where'd you go to high school, and then where'd you go to where'd you go to university? So I went to high school through the eleventh grade at E.B. Irwin High School, okay. the same campus as the elementary school, and uh, then in my the summer between my junior year and senior year in high school, I moved to Maryland, to, to Williamsport, Maryland. I okay. graduated then from Williamsport High School. 
and I thought it was the worst thing that had ever happened to me sure. in my life. All your friends, over all my friends, a boyfriend. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, just I cried all the way <laughs> from Alabama <laughs> to Maryland. My parents were beside themselves. I know, but uh, anyway, it ended up changing my life and being the best thing I could have that could have ever ever happened to me because I met a teacher in twelfth grade, Mr. Hart, who opened up really in a way that my teachers in Alabama had not before the world of literature and writing and bell arts and that sort of so thing. So you were, you were obviously hungry and, uh, and, and wanted that. And he was the right place, was, the right time absolutely, and, and delivered what you needed. So it almost solidified where you were, where you were heading. It really did. Well, that's great. Yeah. And so then you went, where'd you go to college? So I went, started out at college in college at hood college which is a women's school in frederick maryland it's not quite an ivy league school but it's sort of a second tier um it's a sister school to the naval academy and to gettysburg and to um, um washington lee wow and it was kind of a very interesting place to go to school because we were less than an hour away from washington dc about i guess four hours maybe from New York. Yeah, pretty center of the world. Yeah. I mean, pretty, pretty intense there. And the school had shuttles every weekend that would take you either to New York or Washington if you wanted to go. And they also on weekend, they had a dormitory on, on campus for boys. Mm-hmm. So we had guys come up from the Naval Academy or down from Gettysburg sure. or over from Washington Lee. And then they would park a beer truck in the quad every Friday afternoon. And this it was sounds a, like a great place it to was go to a school. Great pla- <laughs> it was a great place because the drinking age at that point was 18. Sure. And it was a great place to go to school. <laughs> but my parents decided to move back to Alabama. My mother didn't like the cold weather in Maryland. And there was still the boy yeah. in Alabama. And um, so I decided to transfer to a school uh south of Birmingham called the University of Montevallo. Okay. And it had started out as a women's school. It's sort of Alabama's equivalent of Georgia College. Okay. Uh, So it's the State Liberal Arts School. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful campus. The streets are all cobblestone. The buildings are all art deco. Wow. There's a lake back behind the campus that belongs to the campus. The president's mansion is on a hill right above the campus. Very, very scenic place. Oh, it's so this beautiful. is where you this is where you end up. This is where I end up. And I go to work for the student newspaper in my senior year I'm editor and we got a new president the spring of my junior year and his name maybe a better not yeah, well, mention. Well, he people was can a research new guy. It. He was a That's new right. guy. People can research okay. it and know who it is. <laughs> but he um, he wanted to renovate the president's mansion. Flower Hill, uh, which tells you what the scenery there was like. And he was given a budget of $20,000. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot of money, but in the late 70s... It wasn't a bad budget. That was a pretty nice budget. And Alabama's higher ed works differently from Georgia's. Each school has its own board of uh, trustees. We don't have just a big board of regents that oversees all of the schools. So things are a little more localized. They're a little more localized, right. And um, so Dr. Vickery started working on renovating the president's mansion and we started reporting on what he was doing because my best friend was the student worker in physical plant so she had to open all of the invoices that came in okay so she just copied them and gave them to me so i always knew what, what was he being was doing spent. yeah and we ca- started getting real close to twenty thousand dollars and the spending continued and we kept going and we got past twenty thousand dollars and i kept writing stories and i kept adding up and before long, we were way past $20,000, and I started writing stories about 
when's the spending going to stop? Yeah. You know, this is what was budgeted. What's not getting paid for in order to give the president this money? Well, and and, and if you said you had a twenty thousand dollar budget, that's what you're going to stick to. Decide right. to go over. Right. That's a story. Right. Well, and you know, it's taxpayers' money yeah. and all that. So anyway, um, he had come the spring of my junior year. I'll finish that story in just a second, but this is kind of important. To okay. It. And the board of regents chair whose name I'm not remembering now, uh, but anyway, referred to him as a charismatic young educator. Hmm. That was just uh, repeated over and over and over again because he was only 34 years old. And he, um, I thought, okay, charismatic young educator. So, you know, that was in the headline and all that where we announced it. Over the summer, I'm home in Birmingham, and I get this big manila envelope in the mail that has the Montevallo return address on it. What on earth? And I open it, and it is an 8 by 10 glossy headshot signed by this new president. And I thought, that's just weird. Yeah. Know, I'm not real experienced at this, at, in my life. I'm not terribly sophisticated. I'm you know, 21 years old. Sure. That's just really, Trying really to figure weird. It out. What is this? And so, you know, that plus charismatic young educator just kept going through my mind. And then when I got back to school that year, he wanted to meet with me weekly, which was great. You know, that's a high, very high level of access to a university president. And we met weekly and I just kept getting the, these weird feelings that he was trying to kind of control things. And, and then his assistant took me to task one day because back in those days women would wear scarves over their head mm -hmm. and you know tied in the back kind of a hippie look yeah. and his his assistant took me to task for coming to meet with the president wearing a scarf over my head and I just kind of <laughs> who are you you know and, and, and you're still trying to figure it out but it's just things kept getting weirder and weirder and in March before I was to graduate in May I got a phone call from the philosophy professor Dr. Von Tool. Okay. Who became eventually my father-in-law. Wow. Um, but I was not seeing That's his son. That's super, <laughs> super interesting. <laughs> I, Little twist here. It was. I was not seeing his son at that point. Okay. Uh, I kind of knew Hubert, who Hubert was because we had had an, an incident the previous year. Um, and he was, he had not graduated yet. He graduated by my senior year. And he was, um, uh, he was the student defender for the SGA. So he came to defend the student press. Um, again, it, it's, a, it's a long story, but uh, <laughs> and so I'll just stick to the one story. But the, um, I got this call from, from the philosophy professor, and he said, Miss Redden, because that's what he always yeah. called us, but he was Mr. or Miss, I would like you to come to my house this evening. And I thought, oh, what oh have boy. I done? I'm not taking any of his classes right now. I'd had a couple from him, but I wasn't in any of them. Thought, What's this all about? And so I went to his house uh, as requested because his house is literally right across the street from the music building so he virtually lived on campus and he had all of his office hours and meetings at his house so I went over and went in and he explained to me that he had had a conversation with the dean of my college which was his college as well and Dean Walters had told him that Dr. Vickery had been making some inquiries about me and that perhaps I wanted to watch myself oh. because I was to graduate in two months and I really should consider that I wanted to graduate. Uh, oh my God. And that was really what led me definitely into a career in journalism. I already had the bad experience. Rather, than, rather than being scared off, 
it more attracted you to this. Okay. Yeah. And and it, th- one of the reasons was I was an English major because Montevallo did not have a journalism major. And and I'd still I just when I'd started school I thought I was going to be a fiction writer anyway. Sure. And so anyway, I had been to the Alabama Press Association meeting just a couple of weeks before that and had heard a woman there speaking. She was a professor at the University of Alabama and was the media law professor there. Her name was Marion Huttenstein, and she was amazing. And I realized that I didn't know exactly how far I could go with the story and not get in trouble. And I decided, I'm going to be a journalist. That's what I'm going to do. And I've got to go to graduate school and study with this woman because I need to know where the lines are. I need to know what I can do, what I can't do, because I'm getting the information. It's spending taxpayers' money. I've got to be able to use it, but I just didn't really understand access law enough yeah. at that point. So um, so I kind of stepped back off from the story, turned it over to the girl who was going to be the editor the next year, who is now a journalism professor at Rutgers, actually. Um, we both ended up going in that direction. And her husband's a copy editor at the New York Times. So wow. they're, they're a, a very high level. So anyway, I said, that's it. And so I told my parents I was going to graduate school, which they had not planned for. <laughs> and they said, well, it's on your dime. And I said, fine, I'll make it happen. I worked for a year and saved the money, went to graduate school, did my master's with Marion. And my first paper was on access law. It's been my love ever since. Ever since. And um, became a journalist, started working for a newspaper down in South Alabama, worked there for about six months and the Alabama Press Association was meeting. They always met in Gulf Shores, which is a coastal town on mm-hmm. the Gulf. And an editor at the, in fact, the executive editor at the Decatur Daily up in North Alabama, not too far from Huntsville, picked up our newspaper and read one of my stories. It was a, a profile of a judge who was retiring and liked my writing style and called me up and said, would you be interested in interviewing with a for a position in our paper, well, it was a daily, so it paid more, and it was closer to where my parents were living, so closer to home, but not too close. And it was cool that somebody was asking you that it they was. liked your stuff. I mean, that's definitely it gratifies was. the ego, right? It, absolutely. And so I interviewed and started working for the Decatur Daily. But wow. you know, it was it was it was really thanks to this college president that I kind of went down that path and uh, him making a threat against me and I decided it's 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 interesting and you you wonder um do you think there's a shift uh with the culture today where that probably wouldn't happen or do you still think those things are occurring all the time I think it depends on the student um I had a student last year who ended up transferring to Georgia Uh, she wanted to be in a bigger program and she was amazing we worked all last summer on a series of investigative stories about the university here the augusta university that looked at lawsuits primarily lawsuits that dealt with uh, discrimination Mm -hmm. and she became a master at open records requests and got all kinds of things that i'm i'm sure the administration in fact i know the administration would prefer she didn't get didn't get yeah and we ran all kinds of stories in the student newspaper at, uh, at augusta and uh, yeah so 
that there's scene still was, things got it's it's still there yeah it, it annoyed her that the school was getting by with some of the things it was getting by with well it sounds like she had a common <laughs> a common friend in the professor there that was we, get, we were easily soulmates. annoyed <laughs> yes easily annoyed well how did you um end up here in augusta okay so um i'm i met my husband uh when we were well i was a i guess a junior and he was a senior at a publications committee meeting because the student newspaper had gotten called on the carpet. We'd done an investigative piece and looked at what average in, in Augusta you don't take, or I'm sorry, in Birmingham or in Alabama, you don't take the SAT, you take the ACT. Yes, that's what I took in Kansas City. Yep. So, yep. And so we were told that they didn't let anyone into Montevallo who did not have at least an 18, I think is if I'm remembering correctly, on the ACT. But anyway, there's a minimum score. We had a friend who worked in the registrar's office who gave us not names, but just scores. And we found that mm, a good number of students were being admitted with a lower score. A lower than score. The, than, and so we ran a story on that. And the administration told the publications committee that they needed to call us on the carpet for having um, published this information because A, it embarrassed them, mm-hmm. B, it showed they were lying, yeah. and C, we'd gotten access to what they considered to be privileged. privileged. Kinda, yeah. But this is before FERPA okay. became law. FERPA doesn't come become law until 1980, and this was in 1978, I guess. So anyway, they didn't have the law to rely on, but they were just trying to intimidate us. And so Hubert came to be the uh, student defender, we weren't on trial, but the SGA just wanted to make sure that we weren't intimidated by the publications committee. Well, we weren't intimidated because they congratulated us on what a great job we had done. <laughs> wow. So you get, met him. I met him there. He's defending the right, the good thing. That's, That's right. He's helping. All right. I love it. And I love it. And so um, we didn't start dating until the next year when he was home from law school. Okay. And um, we dated off and on for about five years, never lived in the same place at the same time. But we finally decided that maybe we should get married when he went off to Texas to do his Just PhD. conceded that it probably should Needed happen. Needed to happen, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's a, he's an attorney. He has been an attorney for a while. Yes. And then he's also a writer he's himself. And a professor. And a professor. He hated practicing law. Okay. And so he only did that for a few years. And um, he worked for legal services. That was when Reagan was president. And, when, you know, Reagan went on this we're cutting waste out of the um, federal government program sure. that so so many presidents do. And he was going to close down legal services, and that's where Hubert worked. And, he, and Hubert decided, well, if they're going to close it down anyway, I might as well just go do what I really want to do. And he went and did a Ph.D. in military history at Military history. And, so, <laughs> and has taught military history and law? It's both? or He's never taught law, okay. just, just history. Just history. Yeah. What's his, because I love military history, super interesting to me yeah, too. Yeah. Um, what is his focus? Does he have a, like a core thing that he So he started out, mm-hmm, he started out dealing with the Soviet Union. Okay. But then Gorbachev came along and took down the uh, uh, Berlin Wall. Yeah. And he thought, well, there goes my career, just as he was about to. <laughs> <laughs> to graduate with his PhD. Reagan's taking away the law services. Gorbachev's cor- taking yes, away exactly. communism. What is he going to do? <laughs> What's he got left? So he's actually from Holland. Okay. So he has a pretty good background in uh, European matters anyway. And so he decided he would just reinvent himself as a general Europeanist. So he started studying the low countries, which is Holland, Belgium, and Luxembourg. And 
World War One and World War Two. Oh, so wow. that's what he's mostly written about. Man, that's super interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna. I need to have him on this. You didn't, or at least go get coffee or beer or something <laughs> yeah, with him. You enjoy sure. talking with him. That sounds. That sounds great. So you, uh, you guys eventually get here. Yeah. So uh, sorry, sorry, I went off on no, tangents. I tend to do that. <laughs> so we, I married him, and we went to Texas A and M. Then he had to get a. And, and I couldn't find a newspaper job out in College Station. It's a fairly small town. There's one newspaper, and unless they had a, an opening, there wasn't going to be right. anything. But his dissertation director's wife worked for the university and worked in public relations, and she needed someone to substitute for someone who was going on maternity leave. So anyway, that's how I, I kind of spent four years working in public relations. They really liked my work. They hired me permanently after I'd been there for that three and months. And that's a different type of writing. That's more marketing spin a it little is. bit. It's definitely trying to lead people uh, and to make a certain decision. So a little more editorial in a way. Absolutely. Okay, so you learned, the, yeah. learned that. And I got in really into visual communications and it there. probably was also... Um, you, 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 when you're writing PR, you've got to make people happy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's yes. the opposite of the journalist that's trying to maybe tick people off. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we don't try to I tick know them you're off. Not we trying just to do tick it. Off. It just happens. <laughs> that's right? right. It just happens. But anyway, um, so I had a, a really good background in public relations from there. So that was a, a really important and fun time in my life. But anyway, Hubert had needed his first job, and this was a period when the academy was not really hiring so he had to take whatever he could find and he went to work for a small college uh, small methodist college think appalachian version of Payne college okay. underfunded very few students um so not wealthy at all very low salaries but a wonderful place but it's called barberville kentucky okay um we lived in flat lick which is halfway between stinking creek and bimble Okay. Um, no idea where any of these places <laughs> no, you are. Wouldn't, That's you fine. Wouldn't. I'm just probably telling, nobody knows where these places exactly. are. Exactly. <laughs> just saying that so that you know how far out in the middle of nowhere we were. Um, and I we loved it. It was great. I really enjoyed the Appalachian culture. It was great to get to know it. But anyway, he taught there for five years, and so did I. That's how I got into teaching. Mm -hmm. They needed someone to teach journalism. Again, there's only one newspaper in town, small weekly, yeah. owned by a family, and in Appalachia, they don't trust outsiders a lot. So there's no way I was going to get a job with that yeah. newspaper but the school needed someone to teach journalism and there you go there I was yeah. and so I got hired to teach and that's how I got into teaching we stayed there five years and I got pregnant and we decided we probably didn't want to raise a child there because the schools were not great yeah. and um I don't mean that to put them down. It yeah, just sure. it's it's just underfunded, different kinds of values with education, just a different right cultural um, outlook there. Yeah. So Hubert started looking around for jobs, and Ed Cashin ended up hiring him here at Augusta, and that's how we got here. Wow! How long had he? How long did he teach here? Hubert, he's still. We're both retiring at the end of this semester. Wow! So he's been here thirty years. I was an adjunct and some other things that don't count towards your time at the university. So technically, I've only been there 26 years, but I've actually been there 30 years, wow. too. Wow. That's great. So you guys have been around Augusta for quite oh, some time. It's, it's as long Family as raised, every, yeah. everything, is, everything is here. Wow. Yeah. So you have written for magazines. You've written for newspapers. Mm -hmm. You've written for, obviously, the online newspaper, the Augusta Press. You've taught. You've written books on journalism so mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about your interest in the history of journalism and why 
with all of the other millions of things you've done, you've, you've, is now eight books now, or do we, it's six books? I think it's about to be nine. We, wow. I just got the page proofs on one. Why is this there week? this? I mean, that's a lot on one topic. Especially given the kind of teaching we do at AU. You know, I'm teaching four classes a semester. My colleagues at places like Georgia or South Carolina are teaching two. Okay. And I'm, Actually, I don't mean to brag on myself, but I actually have been more productive. It's okay, you can do it on the podcast. You're more Thank productive you. than they are. We know yeah. that. Yeah. Obviously, and you got books that you're writing, and oh, just by the way, started a new a newspaper. newspaper. No yeah. big deal. Yeah, no big deal. Um, so. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you had cancer last year. Yes. That's okay. True. No problem. <laughs> no problem. Like, what? Oh, you take all comers, Debbie. It, it was a pretty full year. Yes, that's always been true. Always been true. Um, so I taught with just a master's degree for about ten years five years at um, uh, Union College and then four years or so here and my daughter was about four and I thought about going back and doing a PhD at Georgia I applied and I was one of um, they, they usually get about 80 applicants for their PhD program in journalism each year and they take four Wow. But they, they, they do that because, at least back then, they wanted to pay all of the costs for their Ph.D. students. So I thought, okay, so I'm going to get my whole Ph.D. paid for. That would be great. But I went up in business, and I hated the program. You didn't like it. I that. hated everything about it. I didn't like the people I met. I didn't like the facilities. I just didn't feel like it was mm -mm. the right spot. Nope. So I said, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to waste their money and my time studying yeah. someplace I know I'm not going to be happy and I probably wouldn't finish the degree. A couple of years later, South Carolina starts their PhD. And I go up to look at it. And I visit with uh, the one of the faculty members. His name was Ronald Farah. And come to find out as we were talking, Ronald Farah was from Fordyce, Arkansas, which is where my father is from. Oh, wow. Um, and where Bear Bryant is from, or was from. And uh, the high school there is the Fordyce Red Bugs. So I always tease Dr. Farah about being a red bug. Being a red bug. Getting under <laughs> your skin and making yeah. life miserable. Um, his, he, his father had owned the dry cleaner shop right next to my aunt's uh, furniture store. You just felt like this was kind of meant and, to be. And the more we talked, the more I liked him. And I thought, yeah, this is going to be it. And he also took the perspective, you're 40 years old. You know what you're doing. You tell us how we can help you get this degree. Wow. And that's what I did. I kind of wrote my program, and they facilitated it. And it was it was. That's great. awesome. So then, so you're doctor then? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I am. Do you like being called doc? Do you, you, you know, you don't need that? No. You got some letters after your name now, though. That's fun. I do. But, you know, <laughs> I, I always tell my students, just call me DVT. <laughs> DVT. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So I, I always tell a little... What if 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 you were gonna ask, if you were gonna guess how your students describe you, what do you think they would say? Oh, I think they think I'm the dragon lady. The dragon lady. Yeah, that's wow. that's true of every media law professor everywhere. You guys are. It's a little harsh. It's it a little is. hard to it's, take. It is because you know these are kids who are used to doing hands-on work, right? They're used to going into a studio and doing a podcast. Yeah. Going into a computer lab and laying out a magazine page. Kind of fun, getting in there. Creative it's interesting. Stuff. Yeah. And then they hit the wall of media law where they have to do real academic work. And I'm not, I'm not, again, that not saying thinking, this to put them that down. That thinking gets you every time. It's a different kind of thinking. I mean, I'm not putting down creative work at all because sure. I love doing it too. I love designing magazine pages. I love 
um, editing photographs. You know, I even like making films, so I came to that a little bit later in my career. But it's different. It's just a different kind of mind work, and they haven't exercised those muscles. You know, um, Hercule Poirot, Agatha Christie's great detective, Belgian detective, talks about the little gray cells yeah. and how you need to use them. Yes. And they have to learn how to use different little gray cells, and it's a pain. It is, and I know that because I took my first media law course in the summer <laughs> reading 400 pages and not because i mean i am i am sweetness and light compared to Marian huttenstein <laughs> they just don't know they don't even know um, I, I took to some of my classes some of the exams from the classes i had with Marian, and they go to like 400 multiple choice questions three essays and but she designed them specifically so you couldn't finish them because she wanted to put you under the pressure that you're under when you're a working journalist and you have to think on the spot oh my god how do i get the, to stay in this meeting how do i keep them from throwing me out you know and yeah. and she wanted to simulate that with her exams and boy she did <laughs> <laughs> wow so so you know that the pressure that those students are experiencing in the class All is going to well. make them is going to make them a better journalist i do over time so there's no coddling in the dragon ladies class no which you know <laughs> not in that one anyway wow wow um so let's talk a little bit about um your writing routine mm -hmm. um how you're doing several articles a week correct uh right now i've told them mm -mm, i'm in finals i got book proofs i got a book chapter i've got to get researched and written yeah. you know so you've cut so. back a little bit on i on, have but there's some pretty important stories right yeah. now and yeah. don't know when this podcast is going to run over the next couple of weeks but there's a lot of stuff going on in augusta right now there is not only with the mayor but fire chiefs and yep. all kinds of fun fun things and yep. and they need you right the gus yes. press needs you and so yeah. you have been writing some of that stuff i have been writing some of it and i've been doing a lot of editing and coaching and and uh that kind of that's thing. a good role advisory editorial right. role that you're you're yes. playing so yes. how so I, we had scott on and mm -hmm. scott said that you and him were kind of the genesis of the augusta press and we obviously got a great uh publisher joe who's kind of backed it with the money and yeah, the Joe's effort great. here um mm -hmm. but how how did the Augusta Press come to be? Why? When was the idea? And give me a quick rundown of, of yeah. how we got where we're at today. So last summer, I'm going to say it was probably in late July, early August, because I was already in chemotherapy at that point. And Scott called one day and said, hey, let's start a newspaper. And I thought, okay. Uh, you know, we were also at the height of COVID, and I thought, how are we going to do all of this? But he asked me, excuse me, to meet with him and, and um, Neil. Neil Gordon. Neil Gordon. Yep. And um, uh, because Neil started out working with us on this. Sure. Uh, we decided to, or he decided to do a, a, another project instead. Yeah. But um, we met at, for lunch and sort of talked about it, batted it around. And I think we had um, a much smaller idea in mind. But we decided to, to try to find an investor or two anyway and so we talked to several different people and we ended up talking to joe edge and connie wilson about coming in on this and they weren't sure at first and when we first started talking they said and eh, maybe not but we continued talking it seems like a little bit of a big bite uh, it is <laughs> it take. is because you know a daily newspaper that's a lot of it work is. and but anyway we decided or they decided and we decided together yeah let's throw our hats in the ring and just kind of see what happens 
And so we kind of worked all that out through the fall, and we came together pretty quick in the winter, and we we, did. we mm-hmm. launched in January. January eleventh right, right. was our first day. Yeah. Yep. So yep. we've been cranking, and there there was a, an interesting transition where we're writing a whole lot of stories early on, or you guys were, and now we've transitioned to a little bit a little bit more quality over quantity, which yep. is what everybody seems to want. It's almost like yes. you could write four stories or you could maybe do two and those two be a bit better and have a little bit more impact and a little more research right a little more in depth yeah um and so that was kind of something i wanted to do from the very beginning but um took us a while to get there but you know you gotta it takes a while to find what your model is going to be yeah well this is a the augusta press is a new type of model you guys have basically said hey who are the uh award-winning heavy hitter journalists that really know what they're doing, let's put them in play uh, and and have a newspaper that uh, really addresses what's going on and not being done other places right now. So right. I think that's, that's one of the interesting things about the paper is um, you've got new media here, which is maybe not as experienced in some of the other venues, but then you can look at the Augusta Press and say, okay, this is where the journalisms really are journalists really are and this is also where uh the history and the context is i i find that people that have lived here for 30 years are probably going to have a different perspective than somebody that maybe just got out of college or just moved here or is kind of looking at this as a transitionary uh Mm -hmm. position in Mm -hmm. journalism whereas people with the augusta press are augusta right that's yeah. right i mean i think probably i'm the only one who who wasn't born and raised here yeah that's why is it you've been here for 30 years but i've been here for 30 your, years <laughs> you're you're in i i grew up in kansas city but mm-hmm. moved down here and have been here for 20 some odd years yeah, and yeah. married i fell in love with a girl from beach island and the mm-hmm. weather and the food and i'm not yeah. leaving right yeah, you know yeah. you you kind of you kind of take it on um well, that's great. I, I, super interesting. You have a million stories I do. that we could go into. And so we, you may need to come out another time. I do want to find out about your writing routine before we leave, because okay. I've asked some of the other guys. So when do you write? When do you grade papers? When do you give me, give me a quick rundown of your day and how things work. So I prefer writing in the morning. I feel like I'm fresher and my mind is fresher in the morning. Um, I try to grade in the afternoon or evening because I hate grading. Okay. I, I love teaching. I hate grading because uh, it, it makes me sit there. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I'm not one to, to sit much. Um, but anyway, I, I tend to like the research even more than the writing now. I've, I've lo- it put me in an archive and I'm a happy camper. I mean, I decided to do a history degree, a history PhD journalism right, history right. degree as opposed to what i had originally gone to graduate school to study uh, i wanted to study the creative differences b- or the psychological differences between creative types so i wanted to know the differences and how to manage a visually creative person versus a verbally creative person because they do have to be managed very differently they do i'm th- this is a very interesting topic we could probably do a whole yeah. whole show on um there's a uh, fantastic book by Ed Catmull called Creativity Inc. and he is mm-hmm. one of the president was a president of Pixar, and um, it the whole book is a history of Pixar, which is super interesting, mm-hmm. um, and how George Lucas was involved and Steve Jobs and all that. But it focuses on how to manage and empower creative people and the different types there are. I'm right. 
I'm more of a story-oriented guy. Mm-hmm. And then that we have other creatives that are almost approach design and code and things like that as an engineer. Mm-hmm. They're two very different types, right. and you have to learn how to communicate with both to, to accomplish a mission or right. get a project done. That's super interesting. So, yeah. but, but as interesting as that was, you said, <laughs> no, I need, uh, I want to go into the history of journalism. Yeah, I went into the um, microfilm room at AU one day. It was um, Augusta College then, and I, I was actually teaching at USC Aiken, and waiting for my husband to get done with a class here and because I talked to a student over at USC Aiken about a project that would look at Sherman's March to the Sea and its coverage by the Augusta Chronicle because I knew the uh, AC had a full run of the Chronicle she decided she didn't want to read six weeks worth of newspapers (laughs) (laughs) okay but I thought well I'm just curious how did they cover it and I went and pulled it out and it was like getting in a time machine and not quite going to the moon, but just going into that science fiction world where you are going back in time is time travel. Yeah, I mean, it, it really literally is. is time travel. And I was hooked. So I just, I love doing archival work. I never knew that um, until I. And then that all day, of a sudden it really appealed to a you. A world blossoms. And that yeah. PhD then evolved. Yep. So that means to you now. now Still, research is super fun. Yes. You, you've you got a home office, I'm assuming. I do. Right? Is everything happening out of there right now? It is. Okay. Yep. Um, I just got all my retirement computer equipment. I have my desktop right in front of me, my laptop right here. I have my almost, what, 25-year-old Mac. The, okay. The, the flowered ones. Remember yes. the flowered oh, ones? Oh, I remember all those. Yes, yes, right there. And the reason that's there is that still has data from my PhD on it, and I have well, to access that. We need to make that. sure that gets backed up and is okay, pal. Oh, it, it's all okay, backed good. up. Right. It's, but I've got software on there that the only way I can access the data is through that particular software, wow. and you can't get that I software anymore. So the computer <laughs> still works. Yeah. Um, Macs well, are Macs, wonderful. Those Macs are wonderful. They are yeah. wonderful. But anyway, so yeah, I just kind of sit there and and if I've already got the research done, then I've got my note cards or I've got the printouts or the uh, copies and I I do tend to do note cards. Yeah. That's just but I type them and then print them out. So because they're more readable that and way you like than my the handwriting. Tactile yeah. Tactile. Yeah. And I arrange them and that's you know, I just do that what you learned in your high school English classes, do your note cards, then do your outline. Then do your first draft, then do your second draft. Yeah, that's that's, that's the just, process. You do it, you walk through and, and go. That's wow, it. Wow, that's yep. awesome. Yep. That's awesome. So um, let's let's do this. I want to find out who were you, the, what was the story you were the most nervous about doing in your career? Like the, a little scared, a little nervous. What what pushed you? What In terms of the most scared I ever was, I was a brand new reporter. I don't think I'd been working for the, it was the Roberts, um, Roberts Dale, oh good Lord, independent. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They tell me the cancer drugs work uh, work against working memory. Well, you've you've exercised all the gray matter. I think you can lose a few. You'll probably be okay. (laughs) I'm going to claim that. Um, Anyway, I was, I don't think I'd worked for them long. And I was, one of the things I was covering was courts in, in Baldwin County, Alabama, and the juvenile judge was retiring. And I was assigned to cut, to do a profile on her. And 
I was terrified, and it was really had to do with me having a, a master's degree essentially in media law, technically in journalism, but m- most of my classes dealt with something in media law. And I was terrified because judges just scared me after everything I'd read about what judges can do to you and their yeah. contempt power <laughs> and all that. And so I made the appointment, went up to interview her, and I just found her delightful. She was <laughs> j- like a grandmother. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it was fun and we laughed and we just had a great time. And that just, that really helped me get past being afraid of authority and doing figures. Doing a- and interviews and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. great. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, um, what's coming up for you? What have you, have you got some other big stories you're working on and following and, and you're retiring? That seems like a pretty big deal. Yeah. Are we going to have a big party or are we gonna, uh, what are we going to do here? Um, yes, I'm retiring from AU. I'm not retiring from the Augusta Press. Correct. Um, my department actually had a party Tuesday. Okay, awesome. Uh, for me. And it was, it was the first time we've all been together in over a year. That's pretty special. And we've all been vaccinated. That's why well, we that's could, good. <laughs> could do it. And we met for margaritas and Mexican food. And had a great time. That and sounds it was really so fun. good. And one of one of well, two of my former students came, <coughs> which was really nice. And we just had a good time. But um, on the seventeenth, my husband and I are leaving, picking up my best friend since middle school, and going to New Orleans, where her husband's teaching. Uh, he's about to retire at the end of the summer, and we're going to take her down so she can help him start packing and that sort of thing. My husband's never been to New Orleans before, so we're going to go show him around. That sounds fun. So have a little bit of a break, yep. celebrate the retirement, yep. Yep. and then get back in the game yep. with the writing and the Gusta Press yep. and all the other projects. For a while, and then yep. we're going to come home, but we'll be going to Ireland. Oh, wow. Um, because that's just my second home. Yep. Oh, wow. And my husband has a sister there, and we have a niece and two grandnieces and of course a, a nephew i'm super jealous oh there's no place like it county tipperary that's that's god's country we, right. we have this farm that we go stay on it's called fairy fort farm and there's a real fairy ring there and oh, wow. it's it's uh, it's heaven on earth oh that sounds awesome that's play sounds a lot awesome. of music there and uh that's yeah, great it's great yeah. well thank you for coming on today i really appreciate getting a chance to interview you I want to have this go on for another hour, but we may just have to do uh, episode two at some point, uh, part two. So thank you so much. uh, And uh, thanks again for uh, coming out. Sure. Thank you.